Good evening. Good evening. Welcome to our first equip of 2024. Uh, very good to have you with us. Well done for braving the cold. Um, I'm not sure if we're so much success of getting out after this, but uh, well done for being here. Anyway, uh, welcome to those joining us online as well. It's great to have you with us. And the idea of these sessions is that we take a bit more time to think through a particular topic uh, that we may not otherwise have time to cover on a Sunday and to think, what does the Lord have to say about that in his word? And tonight we're thinking about evangelism, evangelism for the terrified, we're calling it. Thank you for coming. Uh, because I know there may be a bit of nervousness that we're going to be told to go in tomorrow and tell everyone about uh, all sorts of things. Um, but uh, I'm very excited about covering this topic, and would you tell us why uh, we need to hear about it? Uh, before we do, we're going to uh, sing. We're going to sing of that gospel and why it is good news. But first, some words from Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Good, welcome. Uh, as Rob says, we're thinking about um, evangelism for the terrified. Uh, I'm not going to take it that everyone here is terrified, um, but you've come uh, to find out more and be equipped for how we can do evangelism. That is to um, go and speak, tell people about our faith, tell people about Jesus, tell people about Christianity. Um, why don't I pray for us as we start this evening together? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gospel that we have just sung about, the gospel that saved us, um, and the gospel that is good news for all people. Uh, please be with us this evening as we think about this gospel and think about uh, what it looks like to share it with those uh, we know and we don't know, who don't currently trust in it for themselves. Please, over the course of this evening, may your spirits be at work through your word in our hearts to change us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, let's go straight onto our tables and have a little bit of a chat as we get going. Uh, when you hear the theme of evangelism or mission, going out and telling people about Jesus, uh, how do you feel? What kind of emotions and thoughts come to mind straight away when you hear that call to evangelism? Go for it for um, a few minutes, and then we'll come back in and hear what people think. Okay, then. Um, it'd be great to hear some thoughts from some tables. Don't worry about saying how you feel. Just summarize the whole table um, so it remains anonymous if you want to. Um, but let's hear how we feel as we hear about evangelism, mission, and the call to it. How does that make us feel? Yes, down the front. Cheers, Dan. 
table felt there was a mixture of um, excitement and trepidation. Basically. Great. In the same, as in each person is excited and trepidated? Is that? <laughs> well, exci excite excited because to talk to somebody about Jesus is exciting. Yeah. But a bit worried in case they say the wrong thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and yeah, not, yeah. Maybe not knowing the right thing to say. As well as they should, things Great. Like Thank you. Thank you. Any other tables want to summarise? Down here. Down. Uh, we were talking on our table um, a little bit about um, almost like an uncertainty in terms of how to get it going. Yeah. And like if we, you know, just happen to mention that we've been to church and someone immediately goes, oh, okay, what do you believe? Like, that's great. That's, that doesn't happen very often, though. And so the question is, yeah, I guess how to actually get a conversation going and, yeah, in a way that isn't uncomfortable and unnatural and a great. little bit jarring. Yeah, yeah. How do we even get into those conversations? Great. Anyone else want to share? Or are we too terrified to share? <laughs> That's all right. Um, Maybe tables were very similar. Um, maybe you have a feeling that when you hear it, you're like, yeah, I, I get that I'm meant to, but I don't really want to. Or um, I, I want to, but I don't know how to. Um, or maybe you think, well, that, that's not really for me. Um, I'm quieter, I'm shyer. But let's leave that to the confident, extroverted, outgoing people that just somehow get into 20 conversations a day and are bringing people left, right and centre to church. Let's leave it to them, but for me, that's not really for me. Um, or, as we've heard from the table, maybe it's actually something you're quite excited by. You want to do it and you would love to do it more, but how, how do we do it? How do we get into um, sharing our faith with friends, colleagues, neighbours, family? Um, where we're going this evening, as you'll see on the handout, in the first session, we're just going to think about... Um, a motivation for mission, thinking about why it's worth taking the gospel of good news to people who don't know it. And secondly, uh, after the break, we'll think about a method for mission or methods for mission, how we can uh, get into conversations. Um, worth saying, we're not probably, well, we're not in this, set, this evening going to be thinking about kind of uh, tough questions, certain questions that we might be asked, how we might answer them, um, or uh, um, what it is that we, how to explain the gospel and what we cover, what we don't need to cover, what the essentials. Um, we're not so much doing that, but actually kind of the first touch points, if you like. Why bother doing evangelism? And how then tomorrow morning or next week, how on earth can I get into that conversation? Uh, maybe that's a session, another session later on down the line for Equip as we think about tough questions that we get asked. Um, but for this evening, thinking about what is our motivation? What motivates us to go and do evangelism? And how can we even start doing that? So let's go, um, firstly then, our motivation for mission. And a few things that we're going to look, out, look at as we think about how we can be motivated to go and share the gospel. Uh, let's go back into groups and just do that first one. Uh, the gospel is true. Um, why don't we, um, in our groups, spend um, 
six or seven minutes looking at those three passages and just pull out of them what do they tell us about the gospel being true what's going on in these verses what do they tell us about the gospel being true and how can that give us confidence or motivate us when it comes to evangelism let's go for it Okay. Here's our first motivation as we think about why it's worth taking the gospel that we believe to those who don't know it. The Bible is very clear. This gospel we believe is true. And so in Romans chapter 1, Paul starts his letter to Rome by stating the true events of the gospel It's a gospel that was promised beforehand. It's a gospel that regards Jesus Christ, God's son, who is a human being, the descendant of David, and yet through the spirit of holiness was declared to be the son of God, seen through his resurrection from the dead. Paul starts his big letter to Rome, the Christians in Rome, by going, look, this thing I'm going to tell you about, it's based on true events. It's true. If you flick back a few pages to Acts 26, verse 25, uh, in this chapter, Paul is um, basically sharing his testimony before the authorities. And at one point, verse 24, Festus interrupts Paul and says, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. And Paul responds, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying to you is true and reasonable. I don't know if you've ever had the same response that Paul has got, someone calling you insane. You're out of your mind believing these things. Interestingly, if you look back to verse 23, it's the point where, as Paul shares his testimony, it's the point where Paul talks about Jesus Christ suffering and rising from the dead, that at this point, verse 24, Festus interrupts and goes, no, 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 that can't happen. And Paul goes, no, 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 I'm not insane. This is true and reasonable. It really happened. And then 1 Corinthians 15, Paul again writing to the church in Corinth. And in this chapter, he lays out what he sees as just the facts of what has happened. That Jesus Christ was buried and was raised and appeared to over 500 people all at the same time. Go and check it out. Go and ask them. Because what I tell you about, it's not just make-believe. It's not just fairy tale. It's true. And and so we can share the gospel with confidence. Be confident that the gospel is true. Be confident that what we're looking to take to people is true news. When I was growing up, this was um, this was part of the most of the biggest reason that I became a Christian. As I was a teenager, I went to a, a Church of England primary school where. It seemed like everyone was a Christian. Um, as some of you all know, I grew up on the grounds of a Bible college where everyone was a Christian. Um, and it wasn't until I got to secondary school where I pretty much, for the first time in my life, met people who 
aren't Christians and who couldn't care less about it. And it was then that it struck me, I've got to work out, is this true for me? Am I wanting to commit my life to this or is it just fairy tale? And it was during those years that, that with help of others, looked into, is this something I can give my life to? Is it true or is it just fairy tale? And, and by looking into it, go, no, this is reliable. This is, these are true events that we can trust happened in space, time, and history. Have confidence as we look to take the gospel to people, because these events are true. And, and in one sense, I, I realize if you're in this room and you trust in Jesus Christ and you call yourself a Christian, you know that, right? And yet... I know that I can be tempted to forget that, or at least doubt it. Because as I look around the world, they don't think it's true. And so they want to convince me that it's all a pack of lies. It's of lies. It's all fairy tales. And yet the gospel is so clear that these are true events. Have confidence in the pages of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. These are true events. And so because the gospel is true news have confidence to go out there and to share it with people who desperately need to hear it. Um, But not only is the gospel true, but the gospel is good news. So let's go back into our groups and have a look at two passages. One of those, hopefully, (laughs) will be pretty familiar to you. Um, Let's see how much you remember. Okay, let's come back together. The gospel is true, but it's not just true, it's good news. Hopefully we've seen that over the last couple of weeks as we've spent time in Ephesians chapter 2. That this gospel that we trust in, this gift that's been given by God, is good news. Because it means that rather than being dead, we're alive. Rather than being enslaved and held captive, we've been released and raised and seated with him. Rather than being condemned and under the wrath of God, we have been saved. It's good news that people desperately need to hear Ephesians chapter 2. It's good news because John 10 verse 10, it brings life. And not just any old life, not just life as in uh, air going through my lungs, but life to the full. Life to the max. Life as humanity is meant to know and designed to know. The gospel is good news. We saw it last year, if you were with us, for uh, some of our guest services. John 11, we see a God who, um, who enters into our suffering, who gives us hope in the face of suffering. That is good news. We saw John 4 when Jesus meets with the woman at the well. He gives a satisfaction that nothing else can provide. The gospel is good news for people. This was the other half of the story, if you like, for me, that convinced me. uh, Because not only uh, was it true, but it was good. If, If something was true but not worth it, then I'm not that interested. 
But to see that the gospel is not only true news, but good news, it's worth it, was when I looked around my school year when I was at university and looked around the football team and no one else was interested, and yet saw that this is good news, it's worth it, was what, in, was what motivated me to keep going. The gospel provides more answers than any other worldview or religion can. And yet I wonder, or certainly for me, I wonder for, for you, whether sometimes we can almost become almost apologetic in our evangelism. Almost a kind of, well, sorry, but I guess I, I kind of should tell you this as a Christian. Maybe we got confused if uh, you've heard of apologetics as Christians. Uh, apologetics means a defense for the gospel. It's not to be apologetic as we share it with people. But actually, to be motivated that the gospel is true and the gospel is good news. So rather than, I'm, I'm sorry, I feel like I kind of should burden you with this. Let me share you this with you because it's true. And it's not just true. It's good news. We've got good news for people. And then third motivation we're going to look at. Not only is the gospel true, not only the gospel is good news for people. It actually brings us joy as we look to share it with other people. So let's go back into our groups and have a look at these verses together and see what they tell us about how they can bring us joy and how this can give us confidence and motivation to tell other people. Okay. <clears throat> so, so far, as we've thought about our motivation for mission, we've seen for those people who don't know Jesus, the gospel is true. And for those people who don't know Jesus, the gospel is good news for them. Uh, but it's not just for them. But actually, as we take the gospel out to others... The Bible says there's a kind of joy that we can experience as we do that. Luke 15 is a wonderful chapter that speaks of as lost people are found, as lost things are found. So that's a picture of, of as a lost person comes back to their father. So there is a party in heaven, a joy at lost being found. And then we have the wonderful story of the prodigal son and the joy that's seen in the father as the son walks home, a joy that makes him uh, run out to meet him, put his arms around him, and get the fattened calf out and celebrate. And just like a lost son returning to a father, so there is a joy when a lost child returns to their father in heaven. Paul in 1 Thessalonians speaks of the joy that those people in Thessalonica give him, a church that he planted in a few weeks of a visit to Thessalonica, and because they come to Christ, there's a joy that he speaks of when he thinks about them. And similarly, in uh, 3 John 4, if you've ever been to that small letter at the back of the Bible, 3 John 4, uh, not the whole chapter of chapter 4, but just one verse in one chapter. Um, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. A joy that comes when people come to know the Lord and follow him. Um, and, and look, that is something I've experienced in my short time here at St. Mary's, the joy when we hear of people who have decided to come to Christ and believe in him. Um, 
I think um, I felt it in the room during the, the baptism and confirmation service, probably one of my highlights of my time here so far, and just uh, reading the testimonies and seeing those people uh, be baptized and give a public profession of faith because they trusted in the good news of Jesus Christ. There's almost a, 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 a spine-tingling feeling when you think about it and you, when you hear of someone share their testimony about why they now believe it and want to follow Jesus Christ. And, and, and look, that's not to say it's not easy. It is hard. And yet there is a joy that can come with it. John Piper, the um, American uh, pastor and author, uh, once said he he considers his father to be the happiest man he has ever met. And one time he asked his father, what, what would you say is the key to a lifetime of happiness? And his father apparently didn't hesitate and just responded, tell somebody about Jesus. Tell somebody about Jesus. The, the joy that comes from sharing your faith. I can remember it vividly when I was younger, um, being told if there's ever a time in your life when in your Christian walk where you're feeling a kind of dryness in your faith, feeling distant from God, they, they challenged me, when was the last time you told someone who didn't know that you're a Christian? When's the last time you've taken that step and told someone you didn't know that you're a Christian? Of course it will be hard, and, and yet there's a kind of excitement and joy about having those conversations. And, and, and of course, when I've tried to do it, most time I come home regretting how I've done it or thinking through what I wish I had said and the mistakes I made. And, and yet there's still something joyous about it, that spine-tingling feeling of being able to share something of the good news of Jesus with people. The gospel is true. We have a true news to take to people. The gospel is good. We have good news to take people. And there is joy for us as we take it to people. Um, and then for the rest of our time in this first session, we're going to spend time in Matthew chapter 9. So flick there with me. Matthew chapter 9, which is on page uh, 974. And we're just going to look at the last few verses. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 10, verse 1. As we see a man on a mission. Let me read those verses to us. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Verse 35, it, it kind of finishes a block of narrative in Matthew's gospel. If you flip back to chapter 4, verse 23 on page 968, um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, you've almost got an identical verse. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness amongst the people. These two verses almost then uh, act as bookends for this section in Matthew. As Jesus, in chapters 5 to 7, does his Sermon on the Mount, teaches. And then chapters 8 and 9 performs miracles and healings. And so then now in verse 36, you, you get almost a new section in Matthew's Gospel. When he prepares his disciples for the task, his task in hand. And as he prepares them, we get his motivation. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. We're not told very often in the gospel about Jesus' feelings. And so here it is so significant when we are told that just looking at the crowds moves him to compassion. This word compassion, it's such a strong word. It's, it's a, a gut-wrenching pity, a, a sick to the pit of my stomach at what he saw. And why does he feel that as he sees the crowds? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless is, is pretty intense language. Harassed, it's, it's to, to be skinned or, or ripped to shreds. Helpless, to be thrown or scattered about. It's a picture of sheep being torn apart by wolves. Because as he looks at the people, he sees sheep without a shepherd. A leaderless people. Jesus looks at the crowd and sees people who are leaderless, sheep without a shepherd. He sees a people in great need, but it's not a political need and a political leader they need. It's not a physical need fundamentally. He's provided for some of their physical needs, but now he sees a greater need. He sees a spiritual need. He sees to the heart of human need. Beyond sickness, beyond hunger, beyond injustice, beyond exploitation, beyond misery, to helpless, harassed souls. And so there is a challenge that as we look at the world around us, do we see people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Most of the time I look out and I see pretty sorted people, confident people, no need for Jesus, they think. Other times I look out and see a world in need, or close to home, a town in need. Jesus says people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he goes on, verse 37, rather than despairing, he sees the opportunity. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ripe. It's ready to be picked. He looks out and sees a readiness to respond to the gospel. And yet the workers are few. I wonder if you can think like that as you look out, thinking the harvest is plentiful. Maybe you'd agree that the workers are few. <laughs> um, Basingstoke, in the last census, 185,700 people. Our parish here, Black Dam, and East Strop, around 5,000 people. St. Mary's, how many are we here? 90 to 100? 300, 350 on a Sunday? The workers are few. Do we see the harvest as plentiful? Ripe for harvest? And yet, before we may despair, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest. Jesus reminds his disciples that he is the Lord of the harvest. He's in charge. He's in control. Forget this. Forget that he's the Lord of the harvest. And either I'll fall to a pride that thinks results are all down to me and I'm all right at it. I'm decent. Don't worry. Or a despair. Results are all down to me, and I'm rubbish. And yet, actually, with Jesus being the Lord of the harvest, it gives me what I've heard termed as a humble boldness. Humble because it's not down to me. And yet, boldness because it's all down to him. 
and he's in charge. And so what does Jesus say first? Go, get out there, hurry up. No, first, ask. Pray. Praying for us individually. Praying for us as a church. Before we get out there. And then chapter 10, we, we, we effectively get his strategy for mission. Faced with a plentiful harvest, faced with a teeming world, Jesus chose 12 motley crew and sends them out. Jesus didn't write a book. Jesus didn't start a political movement. He chooses 12 people, one of whom ended up being a traitor to take his mission. And has it worked? Well, look around. Over the centuries, these 12 took it out in the first century. And as it grew across the Middle East and grew across Europe, one day, finally, it made it to Basingstoke. And here we are, as a result of 12 or 11 people being sent out by the Lord of the Harvest to go. How do we know it's worked? Because thousands of years, the gospel is still going strong the largest religion in the world. Why has it worked? Because he is the Lord of the harvest. So there we go. There's the motivation for mission. The gospel is true. And in one sense, we all know that. But let's never forget that. The gospel is good. It's not just true, but it's worth it. And it brings a joy to us as we look to share it and hear of people coming to faith in Jesus. And so will we pray that we might see people as Jesus sees people, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? And so will we pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field? Let's take a break there, and then afterwards we're going to think about our method for mission. Great, let's, uh, let's come back together there. Um, great first half, thank you so much, Woody. Great to, I've not thought about it before, to think, actually, if you want joy, uh, go and tell others about Jesus. That was great. So we're going to dive back in. Um, you didn't really need me to do that, did you? But, oh well, it gives me something to do. Over to Woody. It's a vital part of the evening. Shall, shall I pray for us as we get back into it? Father God, thank you for the gospel that you have saved us through. Thank you that it is true. Give us confidence in it. Thank you that it is good news. Help us to see how worth it it is. Thank you that as we take it out, there is joy to be had. Help us to experience that. And so Lord, as we come to this second half as we think a little bit more practically how that might look like for us. Be with us as we think that through and as we look ahead to our days and weeks ahead and how we might be able to put this into practice as you send us out into um, the places that you have us go uh, to reach and share the good news with people we meet there. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Good, so we've seen the motivation, um, and um, hopefully that was helpful and challenging and encouraging for us. Um, But now we're thinking, or now the challenge is, how do we even get into a conversation? How might we even attempt to uh, get onto the subject, approach the subject of sharing Jesus with people? Um, So we're going to think of, uh, how many have I put? Five, five different things um, to think about that we'll have a think about now. Here's, here's the first one, and maybe it's a really obvious one, but it's one that um, I need to challenge myself with over and over again. Spending time with people who aren't Christians. How are we going to spend time, meet and spend time with people who wouldn't call themselves Christians? Um, and how can, let me slightly rephrase that for lots of us, how can we spend good time with people who aren't Christians? For um, many of you, not so much me, or not at all me, sorry. You work with people who aren't Christians. I don't work with people who aren't Christians. I work with people who are Christians. Um, um, so you might look at it and go, I, I spend loads of time with people who aren't Christians. But I expect, I expect for the vast majority of you, uh, the opportunities to spend good time in an in a, in a environment where you might be able to share Christ with them is actually very limited compared to the time that you generally spend with them across the office or in the ward or in the classroom or wherever it might be for you. Uh, what might it look like for us to spend, come into contact, come into good contact with people and spend good time with people? Um, and I realize that this will be sacrificial. <laughs> but I think as the gospel calls us, it calls us to be sacrificial. Um, as we've looked at, as we've looked through Mark, God, uh, Jesus calls us to pick up our cross and follow him. And so it'll be sacrificial. I remember when I was younger being challenged um, for two things, by two things, as it comes, as uh, we were thinking about spending time with those who aren't Christians, um, and thinking, how am I spending, or how am I using my calendar and my cash, or my card, I guess now we don't use cash. Uh, how do I spend my calendar and my card? when it comes to spending time with non-Christians. And I remember being convicted as I looked at my calendar and thought about how I spend my money, uh, how much of it can be kind of me time, or spent with other Christians, which is a wonderful thing. And I hope we have lots of good friendships here and we want to spend time with other Christians here at St. Mary's. But what might it look like for us to spend time, good time with people who aren't Christians? Um, But moving on, we don't just want to spend time with them We long to tell them something about Jesus. And that's tough. Rico Tice, in his book, um, Honest Evangelism, speaks of, has this phrase of crossing the pain line. And from reading it, I I think about it most days of what, what does it look like to cross the pain line to tell someone who isn't a Christian something about my Christian faith? Uh, there's a pain line, he says, that we need to cross. Um, And it is tough, and yet hopefully, as we've seen in the first half, it is worth it. And so here's a first little challenge. I mentioned it earlier. Um, How can I tell someone that I am a Christian? Um, And I think the best advice I had with this was to try and tell someone as early as possible in the relationship. 
Because here's my problem, and I, I think I'm, I'm an expert in this. Um, here's my problem is, as I get to know new people, I convince myself that I don't want to tell them too early that I'm a Christian. But actually, I need to build a bit of a relationship with them and, and get to know them and them get to know me before I can kind of drop that bombshell that I'm actually a Christian. I mean, once they've asked me what I do, it kind of comes up pretty quickly. Um, uh, but thinking when I was younger... Um, and, and so I convinced myself, look, just leave it for a little. Don't scare them off too quickly. Let's just spend time getting to know them. And, and yet what happens is that the longer I get to know them, the harder it is to bring in that I'm a Christian because it's a random thing to drop in there that shapes so much of my life, and yet I've taken this so long to tell them about, about it. Um, and the longer I leave it, the harder it is to do. What might it look like with... Um, the people you already know or people, new people that you come, on, come into contact with, what might it look like to let them know very simply and yet can be hard that you're a Christian? Um, let's pause from me. Um, why don't we just go back into groups and think about those two things. Um, how easy is it for you to come into good contact with people who aren't Christians, so not just uh, working with but actually spending good contact with them? Um, spending good time with them and good contact with them. Um, and, and do people know you're a Christian? And how easy can you find it to tell them that you're a Christian? Um, if you're able to, please do be honest and vulnerable around the table. We'll all fail at this and mess up at this. And so um, do, if you're able to, be vulnerable and honest around the table as we look to support one another and encourage one another. But let's think about those two things for a few minutes and then we'll come back in together. <laughs> okay. There's, if you like, the first two challenges. How can we spend good time with people who aren't Christians? How can we let them know, tell them that you are a Christian. Um, but what about getting into more of a conversation? Often I find I can get kind of almost fearful or dramatic about evangelism because sometimes it can just feel quite unnatural in the conversation or in the relationship uh, to bring it up. But what might it look like to bring it up in just our everyday conversation? Because when we chat to people, whether they're friends who we know well or whether it's meeting people for the new time. It's natural to talk about what you're passionate about. You ask people what they're interested in and it's natural to engage with them and to talk to them about it. Um, and so uh, we see this in everyday life and if you've, uh, if you've chatted, chatted to Rob for any length of time, he'll tell you he's passionate about air fryers. Or if, you, <laughs> or if you've chatted to... Um, Colin Williams for any length of time. He's passionate about Everton Football Club. And now, look, I don't mind chatting to Colin about Everton Football Club because I'm passionate about football, so I enjoy it. But I'm not too bothered about air fryers. <laughs> but, but look, I humour him, right? So I, I do ask him, oh, look, what can you cook? A, a full-cooked dinner, a Sunday roast and an air fryer. That is pretty impressive, to be fair. Um, but look, we, we are interested in what other people are passionate about. They want to share it with us. And, and yet, for, for some reason, there's, there's some kind of barrier when it comes to my Christian faith, something that shapes me more than anything else, 
something that I'm not as passionate as I should be or could be, and yet ask God that he will grow a passion in me. And yet when it comes to sharing it with either friends or people we're meeting for the first time, for some reason there's some kind of block. How can we bring it up and share it, something that we're passionate about in our everyday conversation? Here's two, um, here's two maybe simple ways that I've uh, had passed on to me that I try and use as often as I can. Uh, here's the first, your news, my news, his news. Um, it's normal in everyday British conversation, at least, that when you see someone, uh, you ask them their news. You say, how, how are you doing? And um, in Britain, they cannot help but reply and ask you about your news, because that's how British conversation goes. And so then there's the challenge that I set myself of, as they ask me my news, how in my news can I bring something about his news, God's news, into that? And so as I'm seeing people on a Monday morning, or in a context where I'm with unbelievers, how can I naturally, as I ask them how their weekend is, and they return the favour because that's what you have to do and ask me how my weekend is. How can I cross the pain line of not just talking about what I got up to on Saturday, but also bring up what I got up to on Sunday that I went to church? Or maybe tomorrow morning as you get to the office or wherever you're heading and you ask them their news and they ask you your news, how can you respond not just what you're up to today, but maybe... Oh, and. And in the evening, oh, I went to this great session at church. And, and we learned more about who Jesus is and, and what it means to tell people. Look, that might feel far too far across the pain line. Um, but what might it look like to just be able to bring something of his news in as you talk about your news? It could be anything. Going to church, something you've read in the Bible, uh, meeting up with your small group, your house group, and how you've enjoyed that. Something maybe even that you've been worried about or that's something that's been on your mind. And yet, as it's been on your mind, you bring in his news and you talk about how actually by praying about it, it's, it's helped, I hope, and sharing that with them. Your news, my news, his news. And yet, the issue I find that as I do that, I say my bits and then there's that awkward silence. Because I've spoken and stopped, so now it's their turn to speak next. But they're not quite sure what to say there because they don't really want to engage with it. And so what do we do there? And, and this, I honestly think, is the maybe most the simplest and yet the best piece of um, advice and training on evangelism I've ever received. And so every day now, I'll think this through my mind as I'm engaging with unbelievers. How can I say something about what I believe, say something about Jesus, his news, and then how can I ask a question about it to get them thinking about it? Jesus and question. Jesus and question. And, and so, literally, I can remember looking back when I was in London playing football, I'd, I'd, I'd be uh, travelling with or with the lads and thinking, Jesus and question, Jesus and question when I was with Isaac on the train or Brom when we were sharing a room on tour or um, now as I look to engage with the guys at the cricket club in the summer. Jesus in question, Jesus in question. As they ask me my news, as I say something about going to church on a Sunday, thinking, how can I ask a question? Have, have, have you ever been to church before? Or I was hearing this in the Bible on Sunday. Have, have you ever looked at the Bible before? 
it sounds so simple, and maybe it sounds just too much for you to do at this stage. And, and honestly, the difference I've found of Jesus, but no question, and that awkward silence and seeing that they want to move the conversation on, compared to Jesus and question and just getting them thinking and going, no, I went when I was a kid a few times, but I haven't been for ages. And just the opportunity for a conversation to be struck up from it. And of course, there'll be lots of moments when um, you can just pick up in them that they just don't want the conversation to go any further. And that's fine to use kind of our emotional intelligence to realize that and to move the conversation on to something else and just have general conversation. Um, But to just, in my head, the whole time, Jesus and question, Jesus and question, to say something about his news and to ask them a question, to get them thinking, to find out a little bit more. Um, the difference in the number of conversations that have continued on from Jesus in question compared to the times it's stopped dead because I've just done Jesus has, has just such a difference in uh, my experience as I've looked to talk to people about Jesus. Um, so let's go back into our groups. Um, you've got two options at this point. Here's the first. We'll see how popular this one is. <laughs> um, Look, to use a sporting illustration, um, sports people train because to train and to train when it's safe and easier under training environment means that when you get into match time, when you get on the pitch or on the court or in the pool, you're ready for what the situation is because you practiced it. Here's my challenge to you on your table. This is training. So why don't you, in pairs on your table, do a little bit of role play? to do a little bit of, there's the groans going already, I know, I know, I know, Um, to do, to try and practice in a safe environment, to do our training, to do your news, my news, his news, and to do Jesus in question. I know it will feel forced, I know it will feel weird, Um, but I encourage you to give it a go, because to do it here will be much easier than to do it out there. But to do it out there will be much easier having done it in here. That's the first option. Second option is, why don't you discuss your thoughts on (laughs) your news, my news, his news, and Jesus in question. Maybe I'll just wander around and see what tables have chosen what. Um, Totally up to you. I encourage you to give a role play a go or chat about how a role play might go to think about how you might get Jesus and question in. But if you really don't want to, don't worry at all. Um, But do reflect on, could you see yourself doing your news, my news, his news, Jesus and question? What difference might it make? Does it just feel so removed from an environment you might find yourself in tomorrow? Or could that be a possibility as you head into the week ahead? Let's go. Let's spend some good time doing role play. Okay. Um, let's just do a bit of a show of hands. Who who did the role play? Oh, pretty good. I'm encouraged. 
trying to look on Zoom if there's any hands up on Zoom. I think there's a hand up. My eyesight's not good. Oh, no, none, apparently. That's all right. That's all right. Oh, well done. Um, I won't ask for feedback on how it was, um, but well done. Um, before we go on to that last one, I've written four times on my notes, pigeonhole. So now I'll mention it with about two minutes to go. Um, it's been on the screen behind me, so uh, you'll have seen it anyway. We will do a Q&A um, at the end of this if there's any questions off the back as we think about um, going out and sharing Jesus Christ with our friends. Um, look, final one then, God's word over my words, because great if we can get into conversations sharing our faith with other people. But at the end of the day, I want them to listen to God rather than just listen to my words. What might it look like to invite them to look at what God has to say, not just what I have to say? What might it look like to um, invite them along to church, to meet other Christians and to hear God speak? What might it look like to invite them to explore more through one of the courses that we put on, um, a Hope Explore course um, or something like that to uh, experience it and investigate it further for themselves? Um, What might it look like to actually invite them to look at the Bible with you one-to-one? Uh, Maybe that's a scary thought, but what might it look like to just ask if they want to look at it more? Um, And that can be, maybe for you, that kind of question, ask, seems a million miles away. Um, But so often, if we do get into conversations about Jesus, they have something to say. They've got something they think about it. But then to ask the question, have have you looked at it for yourself? Have you explored the evidence for Jesus Christ? Have you have you had a look at what the Bible seems to say about him to look at it for yourself Um, and sadly often the answer is no and so would you like to would you like to have a look at it and see what the Bible has to say about this man Jesus Um, there's loads of good resources out there to help us read the Bible with friends um, that can help us with questions or how to go about it um, or just meet up with them, sit down with them, open the Bible. And as we've been doing in Sundays, as we work through something like Mark's Gospel, uh, why don't you do that as as you look at Mark's Gospel and see Jesus come alive in the pages of Scripture and pray that might come alive in their hearts and open their blind eyes to Jesus. Um, I want to, and I would love all of us, to be sharing our faith and speaking to people about Jesus. More than just us speaking, I'd love people in Basingstoke to hear what God has to say and to hear God speaking and letting God speak to them about Jesus. Um, As we finish, before we get to Q&A, let me just um, do a little bit of a book plug of uh, resources that I've found really helpful. Um, Here's the one I mentioned, Honest Evangelism. Um, If I was to go for one book on evangelism, I think this would be my go-to, Honest Evangelism. In one sense, in a book done what we've done uh, this evening, thinking about the motivation to evangelize and how we can evangelize. Uh, Honest Evangelism, How to Talk About Jesus Even When It's Tough uh, by Rico Tice. Um, So highly recommend that one. Um, A few others for different contexts. Um, Many of you will know the book, The Case for Christ. Um, This book looks at uh, the evidence for uh, the Bible, the New Testament, the Gospels for Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, So the story of the author, Lee Strobel, um, he uh, was... A, uh, an unbeliever, a strong unbeliever. Uh, his wife became a Christian. His 
profession was an investigative journalist, and he decided to apply that to Jesus and to investigate, to prove once and for all that Jesus doesn't exist and to prove his wife wrong. And as he looked into it more, he found his wife was right and became a Christian and wrote a book about it um, as he investigated it. Uh, If you're not a fan of reading, it's been made into a film. And so um, if you prefer to watch it rather than read it, then um, get hold of the film and watch that. So that's more on the kind of evidence for and the reliability of Um, In terms of big questions, uh, here's two big books. Um, One is Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin, um, a brilliant book on different questions people might have about the Christian faith. Um, Really recommend that, Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. And the other one, Making Sense of God by Tim Keller, thinking about uh, not so much the typical questions like um, suffering or evidence or... Um, science versus religion, but more of the kind of deeper things like contentment, happiness, purpose, um, and how uh, God makes sense of all of those things. So there's some books that um, I would recommend. I don't know if they're on our bookstore. Maybe some of them are. Maybe they will be. There we go. Front and center if they are. There we go. Um, So there's some books. I think that's us. Done. Well, thank you, Woody, so much um, for setting us off on that topic. Um, I hope these sessions really are just a bit of a starter for us to think a bit more uh, together to discuss. Um, So please do keep sharing with house groups and things like that, kind of how we found some of the challenges that uh, Woody has given us this evening. But we're going to dive into some questions. Uh, There's a question here. First of all, let's go straight in with this one. Would you talk to someone who has wandered away from Jesus differently to someone who has never considered him before? Um, yes and no. I mean, in one sense, no. Anyone who's not a Christian, I'd want to tell them about Jesus and the gospel doesn't change. Um, but yes, I think I would. I think I would. Um, I think I'd just want to get to know them. And for someone who has wandered away, ask them why they wandered away, what led to them wandering away. And it's worth finding that could be for a whole host of reasons. They might just have lost their faith um, or something might have happened. They might have gone through a period of immense suffering that's made them question and doubt and not be interested. So I think I'd want to find out why they've wondered and from that might shape how I might want to share Jesus with them compared to someone who has never considered Jesus before. I just want to show them Jesus and goodness of the Same answer for anyone else, really. Share, share Jesus. Say that again, sorry. It's the same answer as for anyone. Yes. Share Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Once share Jesus with them, but thinking through why, what's led them to mm-hmm. drift away, wander mm-hmm. away, versus someone who's never considered Jesus. Yeah. Thank you. Um, really helpful question here, uh, which I, apply, I guess applies to quite a few of us. Uh, how would you approach someone, uh, how would you approach talking about Jesus to your spouse? and immediate family, it can be more difficult to share with those closest to you. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I I think, or I know, I would pray lots and lots. Um, I I think um, to to talk about myself for a minute, that's very 
rude and self-involved. Um, but I don't mean this to come across. If this isn't you, ignore it. Um, I find myself with my family making excuses. And so, for example, um, uh, Rosie's brother uh, is a churchgoer. I'm not sure where he stands. And I make the excuse of, but he's not my brother, he's Rosie's brother, so I'll leave it to Rosie to do. Um, my aunt isn't a churchgoer, but came at Christmas. And I've said to Rosie, look, because you're slightly a bit more removed than I am, I think it'd be easier for you to do it. <laughs> and, and, and it just, and I think it was Rosie that said to me, do you see what you're doing? Um, <laughs> And so I, I just leave that as a challenge for me to go, I, 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 I'm brilliant at finding the excuses. They're, they're close to me, they're my family, so maybe Rosie would be better. It's Rosie's family, I'm a bit removed, so maybe Rosie would be better. <laughs> and, and in every case, Rosie would be better, but that doesn't remove... So, so I think that's a challenge to me of going, what, what does it look like to love my family and Rosie's family and to know that the gospel is true and the gospel is good, and so I want to share it with them. Um, and, and yet, um, look, it will be a relationship that you've, you're in long term. And so it, it's a case of, of prayer and patience to go, I, I don't need to tell them the whole thing by tomorrow. Um, I, I want to pray for them every single day that opportunities might come up. I want to respect them, that there'll be times they don't want to talk about it, that they know I'm a Christian. Um, and there might be times when I want to say to them, look, you know what I believe. I'd love you to believe it to, if you ever want to talk to me about it, I'd love to do that. And there might be seasons where that's, that's the best thing for that time. And other seasons where being a little bit more front-footed, Christmas, can they come along to things, um, can be really helpful. Um, to, <laughs> final thing, to, to reinforce my sinfulness and putting it off on other people, I, I do think introducing people to other Christians is, is, is really powerful. And so actually... To introduce your spouse to, if it's an unbelieving husband, to other men here at the church, or your spouse, if it's an unbelieving wife, to other women here at the, at the church, can be a really powerful thing to, to encourage them to get to know other Christians. Not so you can put it off onto them, as I would probably do, um, but so that they can just meet other Christians and see that we're not all weird, and just hopefully through those friendships um, can look to share Christ with them. Thank you. Um, other, well, unfair to me to put it on you. No, I, th I think just worth mentioning 1 Peter chapter 3 um, that speaks about exactly the situation if we're married to a non-Christian spouse. Um, I've said that to some folk and they've not come across that before, but I think it's a great resource, 1 Peter chapter 3. In fact, the whole of 1 Peter is great <laughs> on this topic. But yeah, I think you know, very helpful what you said. Um, there's a question here uh, quite similar to the one we had first time, but I'll, I'll just... Uh, raise it in case uh, there's anything you want to add is engaging with people who have investigated Jesus's claims and rejected them different to those who had never seriously considered yeah I, th I think it is I think I again as, as you say similar to the first question I think for someone who has investigated and rejected them I'd, I'd want to find out how they've investigated and what they've rejected it based on um the, the evidence and reliability for the gospel, for the New Testament, for the Old Testament, is overwhelming. And so I'd, I'd want to challenge them and question them on, on what basis are you rejecting it, if it's a kind of investigating reliability question, and challenge them to, to look into it more, whether that's reading 
the primary source, reading the Bible or reading other things that support the reliability. Compared to someone who's never seriously considered it, um, depending on what seriously means, uh, yeah, I think it would be a bit, a few more steps backwards mm. to go, what, what do you make of it? What, what do you even know of it? Um, and engage in them on that level. Thank you. Just a final question very briefly. Suggestions for how you would recommend people non-local to you to explore faith, case for Christ, or online course, question mark. Um, yeah, I mean, depends how well you know them and what your relationship's like. I'd, yeah, I'd recommend um, either reading other books to the Bible that support it or the Bible itself. I think Case for Christ is a great book for those who are thinking more on a reliability level, um, and people still are, even though we're apparently kind of post-truth, post-modern. I think people want to know if it's true. Um, uh, I, I, I think as well, just, just the power of people. And so, do you know a Christian in their vicinity, close to them, who they can, who you can try and link with them up with, or um, a gospel church that you can link link them up with? I just think so often through the New Testament, it's, it's through people that uh, Jesus works, that God works through, and that's that's not by chance. He He's chosen to, that, to work that way. So what would it look like to try and link them up with someone you know who's a Christian or find out about a church or Christians in that area? Thank you. Uh, just to underline your point as well, I think just getting people in the scriptures, that was how I was converted. Someone said, why don't you read about Jesus? I was like, okay, where do I start? Luke, read about, Luke, uh, read about Jesus in Luke. Um, I tried it with a few of my friends, just say, let's, let's have a look. And it was surprising. They said yes. And I think just working through Mark's gospel or something like that, just, you know, whether a person's local or far away can be really, really powerful. And we've got these little Mark's gospels you can take away and do that. So, yeah. And, and like you just said, it's surprising. Yeah, I think yeah, in our lack of people faith, want to do it. People want to do it. Yeah. And the gospel is the power of God. It only, what was it, last week we had a couple come to our evening service, chat to them during the meet and greet, and, and he had only become a Christian a few months ago. I said, how, how did you become a Christian? He said, well, I read my Bible. And, and, and that, that was it. And, and in my lack of faith, I'm God-smacked. Uh, but, but God's word is, hmm. is powerful and it's active. And yeah, yeah let's trust it. Let's Great. use it. Yeah. Very helpfully to be challenged about Jesus telling us to pray for workers for the harvest field, so we're going to do that now. Um, why don't you turn in your groups? We've only got a few minutes for this. Um, we'd love to pray more, but uh, just to finish on time. Uh, just 30 seconds around the group, very quickly, one challenge, one thing we could pray for one another uh, off the back of this evening, and then turn to pray uh, would be great. Thank you. Don't know about you, but been helpful to be reminded of the fact this is good news and good news of great joy. Uh, but thank you for joining us. I'm going to lead us in a prayer as we finish. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And Father, we pray 
uh, off the back of what we've been hearing this evening, that you would stir our hearts so that like Paul here, we would not be those ashamed of the gospel. Please give us great confidence in its power to bring salvation to those around us. And as Jesus encourages us, we pray, Father, that you would help us to take advantage of the fields that are ripe for harvest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.